The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or Cubist, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE. I'm your host today, Amanda Gano. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Donald Marion. Dr. Marion is a neurosurgeon and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Don and I will discuss a study entitled, Low Resilience Following Traumatic Brain Injury is Strongly Associated with Poor Neurobehavioral Functioning in U.S. Military Service Members and Veterans by Victoria Merritt and colleagues and published in the journal Brain Injury, February 2022. Hi, Don, and thanks for bringing this article to our attention today. Could you tell us a little bit about this study? Um, sure, Amanda. Most studies of traumatic brain injury in the military have focused on identifying risk factors associated with poor outcome. But this study considers protective factors associated with reduced risk for poor clinical outcomes. The increased exposure to traumatic events in the military has been associated with a number of adverse consequences, primarily mental health difficulties. As a result, there's been a great interest in potentially modifiable factors such as resilience that might reduce effects of the trauma. Several previous studies suggest a positive relationship between resilience and post-concussion symptoms, mental health function, psychiatric distress, fatigue and insomnia, well-being and satisfaction with life or quality of life. But most of those studies were done with civilian cohorts. So this study was designed to examine the relationship between resilience and self-reported neurobehavioral functioning following TBI in service members and veterans. The investigators evaluated post-concussion symptoms, PTSD symptoms, and several other domains of neurobehavioral functioning in two unique military cohorts, those evaluated within one year of their injury and those evaluated 10 years after their injury. They looked at four groups of service members, those with uncomplicated mild traumatic brain injury, and then they lumped all of the others with TBI, those with complicated mild moderate, severe, and penetrating traumatic brain injury. They lumped them all together in the second group. And then they had two control groups without a history of TBI, those with and without an orthopedic injury. In addition, they examined the influence of PTSD and resilience on self-reported neurobehavioral functioning across groups at one in 10 years. So I think that this concept of resilience is interesting, Don. So how did these authors define resilience? That's a great question, Amanda. There is not a universal definition of resilience, but in general, it refers to one's ability to positively adapt to adversity. For example, following the experience of a stressful or traumatic event, a resilient individual is one who is able to bounce back or persevere. Someone who is psychologically resilient will explicitly not develop psychopathology following a traumatic event. For the purposes of this study, T-scores on the TBI quality of life resilience subscale were used to classify participants. T-scores are standardized scores for each dimension or variable. A score of 50 represents the mean and a difference of 10 from the mean indicates a difference of one standard deviation. 
Thus, a t-score of 60 represents one standard deviation above the mean, while a score of 30 is two standard deviations below the mean. Study participants were classified as having low resilience if they had a t-score of less than 50, and high resilience if their t-score was 50 or higher. That's really interesting. Thanks, Don. So how was this study done? So participants included 795 U.S. military service members and veterans enrolled in a larger longitudinal study designed to examine the natural history of recovery from TBI, or the 15-year study that you're familiar with, Amanda. Recruitment primarily took place at three large U.S. medical treatment facilities via inpatient and outpatient clinics. Participants were also recruited through community outreach initiatives and social media. Those with a history of significant psychiatric or neurological conditions unrelated to the injury event or deployment, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or meningioma, were excluded. Participants were classified into four broad categories to maximize subgroup sample size. And I mentioned this before. So it's uncomplicated mild traumatic brain injury, and there are 300 individuals in that group. And then they combined the complicated mild, moderate, severe, and penetrating TBI into one uh, or a second group of 162 individuals. Injured controls with orthopedic injuries at 185 individuals in that group, and then non-injured controls who had no TBI and no orthopedic injury, and that was 148 participants. All participants completed a battery of self-reported neurobehavioral measures. Two distinct cohorts were studied, those within one year of injury and those at 10 years after their injury. The range was actually 8 to 10 years. Application of these criteria resulted in a sample of 396 individuals in the one-year group and 547 individuals in the 10-year group. Note that all participants in the one- and 10-year groups were mutually exclusive, with the exception of the non-injured control group that included the same participants in both cohorts. So participants completed a a two-and-a-half-hour battery of self-report neurobehavioral measures that included the PTSD checklist, civilian version, the Neurobehavioral Symptom Inventory, or NSI, the Validity 10, the Traumatic Brain Injury Quality of Life test, and the Traumatic Brain Injury Quality of Life tool. The PTSD Checklist Civilian, or PCLC, is a 17-item measure designed to evaluate self-reported symptoms of PTSD. Participants' responses were also used to classify them into PTSD present and PTSD absent categories. The NSI is a 22-item measure designed to evaluate self-reported post-concussion symptoms, such as headache, balance, nausea, etc. The Validity 10 is a symptom validity test designed to detect symptom over-reporting or symptom exaggeration when administering the NSI. And I think this is an important part of the study, that participants were not included in the study if they failed this symptom validity test. The TBI quality of life tool is a self-report measure designed to evaluate various aspects of health-related quality of life following TBI. For the purpose of this study, 14 of the 20 TBI quality of life scales were administered, including anger, anxiety, depression, emotional and behavioral discontrol, grief or loss, fatigue, headaches, pain interference, cognitive concerns or executive functioning, cognitive concerns general, ability to participate in social roles and activities, positive affect and well-being, self-evaluation, and finally, resilience. 
So Don, a couple of things that I wanted to point out that you mentioned that I think are important and the things that I like about this study. One is that the mild TBI group is truly the DODVA definition of mild TBI. So there are 300 participants here who don't have any findings on their imaging and truly have sustained concussion in the past. So I think that that's a good thing to point out that they didn't include any of those complicated mild cases in their mild TBI group. So those would be people who may meet the criteria for concussion, but had findings on imaging. And the second thing is you pointed out a lot of self-report measures here. So I'm sure we'll bring this back up when we talk about our limitations, but there were a lot of self-report measures used in this particular study. So what did they find? What were the results? In both the uh, mild TBI group and the injured control group, those with low resilience had significantly worse scores for the PTSD checklist civilian version total and the NSI total, as well as the 13 TBI quality of life scales. Those with low resilience in the complicated, mild, moderate, severe, and penetrating TBI group also had significantly worse scores for the majority of those measures. This relationship was found at both 1 and 10 years after the injury. For the non-injured control group, the low resilience group also had significantly worse scores on the majority of measures, with the exception of the TBI, QOL, fatigue, emotional and behavioral discontrol, headache, pain, and social interaction scales. So in summary, in that uh, aspect, all of those with low resilience did more poorly on quality of life scales, whether it was one or 10 years after the injury. The investigators also looked at the effect of PTSD. Select pairwise comparisons, that is low resilience with PTSD present versus absent, high resilience with PTSD present versus absent, revealed that the PTSD present subgroup had a greater proportion of participants with low TBI quality of life scales compared to the PTSD absent subgroup for the majority of comparisons. Overall, self-reported neurobehavioral functioning was the highest in those participants without PTSD who had high resilience. When participants without PTSD had low resilience, neurobehavioral functioning declined. Relative to participants without PTSD with low or high resilience, overall neurobehavioral functioning was worse in participants with PTSD and high resilience and was even worse in those participants with PTSD and low resilience. At 10 years after injury, a similar pattern was observed. These findings suggested that PTSD had a stronger effect on neurobehavioral outcomes than did resilience. In summary, they found that regardless of injury group and time since injury, one year versus 10 years and so forth, resilience had a strong influence on self-reported neurobehavioral functioning, such that low resilience was associated with poorer neurobehavioral outcomes. It can also be said that high resilience was associated with better neurobehavioral functioning. This pattern of results was generally observed across all neurobehavioral outcomes of interest, including PTSD symptoms, post-concussion symptoms, and health-related quality-of-life domains, including physical health, emotional health, cognition, and social participation, with large effect sizes observed for the majority of these findings. Thanks, Don. So, I mean, I guess I'm not totally surprised by these findings. That makes sense. 
And I know that there are effective treatments for PTSD, but are there ways to improve resilience in our service members? I would think that that would be a treatment target area, if so. That's a great question again, Amanda, and you know, clearly reflects your uh, experience as a, as a provider in, in the service. Um, should resilience be regarded as a trait suggesting that resilience is stable or fixed, or is it a process suggesting that resilience is dynamic and modifiable? Most researchers advocate for resilience as a modifiable factor and, and for the development and implementation of interventions aimed at increasing resilience in trauma-exposed populations. In many service members and veterans, PTSD is effectively treated with prolonged exposure therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Similarly, resilience training, which aims to reduce or mitigate the negative effects of an adverse event, for example, trauma exposure, by equipping individuals with the necessary skills to enable them to bounce back following diversity, is one approach that has been explored in both civilian and military populations. In addition, there is some evidence to suggest that resilience training may be an effective approach for improving mental health outcomes in service members exposed to trauma. These approaches, however, have not been specifically examined in service members and veterans with a history of TBI. Thus, future research is needed to evaluate the efficacy of resilience training in the context of military TBI. That's really interesting, Don. Thanks for that. So what would you say are the limitations of this study? There were several issues, Amanda. Probably the most significant is that the majority of the subjects were young men, so it is not clear if these findings would apply to women or older men. Also, as you uh, mentioned earlier, the investigators relied solely on self-reported measures of resilience and neurobehavioral functioning, though they did include the Validity 10 to try to identify symptom overreporting or symptom exaggeration. Participants were not included in the study if they failed the Validity 10 test, so I think that's a good aspect of the study. They also acknowledge that TBI quality of life resilience scale they used to measure resilience is not actually the scale most frequently used in the resilience literature. So what would you say are the key takeaways for providers? So Amanda, in service members and veterans, both resilience and PTSD play a critical role in determining short and long-term outcome following a TBI. I think it is very important for TBI rehabilitation programs to incorporate resilience training in appropriate circumstances. Given the significant comorbidity of TBI and PTSD in service members and veterans, interventions that incorporate evidence-based treatments for PTSD along with resilience training may be especially beneficial, though additional research is needed to evaluate the clinical utility of a combined PTSD resilience intervention in this population. Yeah, and I wonder if resiliency training might be incorporated as something that's standard for all service members, just given the nature of the job of a service member and the high risk factors for a TBI and PTSD. Yeah, even maybe as part of training prior to deployment, I mean, even before deployment and before they sustain a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I think that'd be very interesting to look into. All right. Well, thanks, Don. That's all the time we have for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. 
Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White, was hosted today by me, Amanda Gano. It is the product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a branch of the Research and Engineering Directorate of the Defense Health Agency, led by Branch Chief Captain Scott Coda, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you.